0: You are listening to an HD Smartcast original. I'm Chalo.
1: This could be a great intro.
0: Hi, I'm Akshay.
1: Hi, this is Saurabh, and you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country,
0: and we want to learn how to build a unicorn.
1: Hi, I'm Rishabh, founder of the Ayurveda Experience.
2: Imagine basing your business on the Ayurvedic traditions of India. Imagine working out of India but selling in the U.S. market. Imagine selling in a space without any large established competitors. Transformative Learning Solutions checks all these boxes. It's a company that hit a turnover of 70 crores last year, selling Ayurvedic products and training courses largely to the West. And Rishup Chopra, the founder of Transformative, has had a roller coaster journey full of highs and lows, starting with leading the student-run prestigious Isaac Body in India to making multiple failed attempts in business before finally finding success in the U.S. market with Ayurveda.
0: So, was college like a transformational experience for you or was it like just like, you know, uh, nothing special?
1: So, I went to College of Business Studies, uh, you know, in Delhi, uh, it's a well-reputed college now, uh, and I studied finance. But the most transformative uh, part of my college was I uh, was a part of ISEC, which I don't know whether you've heard of. but it's uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, I have. Oh. Uh,
1: yeah, so it's a very large uh, youth organization across the world, 100 plus countries. And I joined as a volunteer uh, in college. And then I used to head the Delhi chapter, which we had about 70, 80 people. I think ISAC is a life-changing experience for anybody who does that. Many, many well-reputed alumni uh, of ISec, And it's a first real training or entrepreneurship for me as well. Because basically, uh, the organization is global, but every local chapter runs itself. So you have an election, you you know, become a president of a local chapter, you hire your team, and your team has their teams, and a you know, city usually has... 50 to 100 people maybe even larger now but in my time about 50 to 100 people in a local chapter so i ran the local chapter here and then i ran the national chapter out of bombay and we had uh 2, people in india at that time and i think already we were in around 15 cities uh at that time and so it just and it was mr Adi Godrej had given us a part of his office to work out of him and mr tata for a long time was sponsor of isec so okay. you know running the national office was very interesting
0: so uh, you like uh, took that up after college or this was while studying that you were running this national office?
1: So well, the local office while I was studying, while I was in college, you're a volunteer, you work on the side, you work without getting paid, uh, but you run an organization. And the national office is full-time. I mean, it's, it's full-time. I mean, even back then, you manage I think, over a million dollar annual budget and you're 21 and twenty twenty one or 22. And at 21... I think I was about 21 when I ran the national office, or 22. You know, we used to have board meetings with Adi Godre, Nandan Nilikani, Deepak Parek, you know, huge, huge names. Uh, Nana Kadwai, I think she used to run HSBC, probably still does. Chairman of McKinsey. I mean, to be at 21 or 22 running board meetings with these people, all in one room, is a transformative experience, right? And, and, they, and also the entire country is run by you. You are like the decision maker on an organization with 2000 people at that early age and it didn't end there so then i went to the global office where i ran one third of it all external partnerships of it and that global office again manages you know uh or is the central body for a hundred plus countries so i i traveled to 28 countries in that one year just to so I was, I was in a new country practically every 10 days just you know doing the external partnerships of that organization so Now, the core uh, work of ISAC is youth and talent development. And a big part of that is they do cross-border traineeships. They send people from one country to another country to work in an NGO or a corporate organization. And that, it thought, was a very uh, significant way for somebody to change their worldview and get another cultural experience and and a professional experience. And and if it happened early enough in your life, it was transformative to you. So, for example... You know, I never met him, but Arun Puri of I think the is it the India Today Group? It's India Today Group, right? You know, we had tracked back. He had even he, for example, had gone on a traineeship to uh, uh, Japan in his early years.
0: Okay, becoming president of the country or running one third of the global organization. Uh, how did that happen?
1: Uh, well, when I hear the autobiographies of a lot of great people, they talk a lot about luck. Uh, I believe a little bit of luck, or not not much, in, not much about luck. Uh, You know, I believe a lot about uh, working hard and getting something done. Uh, So I think the thing is that one of the things I must credit my parents for is in leadership roles, diversity of experience matters more in many ways than, you know, really focused, specific skills. So you you need to be able to execute some things and have some skills, but you also need to be able to communicate. You also need, need to be able to understand diverse perspectives and um uh, while a lot of that learning came from ISAC, but, you know, winning elections, sort of to win elections, you you know have to do the whole election drama, for which you have to sort of, articulation matters. And, uh, you know, so debating, for example, in school would have helped, or dramatics would have helped. And uh, our parents, uh, you know, to both me and my sister, they never restricted us from diverse opportunities. You know, they were never like, just... Study like hell, but but don't experience all these other things. And in hindsight, I think that does, that does help. Even today when you know sometimes you'll see somebody who's really talented. In fact, I think a lot of the talent today gets overvalued or undervalued by the quality of the communication. And sometimes you'll find great talent which is undervalued because the quality of communication is just not that good. And you'll have some other talent overvalued because quality of communication is much better. So I think those diverse experiences helped. Of course, you know, you have to be fully uh, committed to it.
0: And uh, what did your parents feel about you uh, taking this up as a career? This was like a career only, I guess, right? I mean, you were
1: getting a salary and there was a growth path. Well, uh, it it is sort of a career stepping stone, but it's hardly a salary. I mean, by salary, by first two years in Bombay was 7,500 rupees. Okay, so uh, it is really, you're, you're doing not-for-profit. And then when I shifted to the, it is a not-for-profit, I said. And then when I shifted to the Netherlands, my salary was below 1,000 euros a month. I keep trying to tell that to everybody who, uh, you know, all the young guys nowadays are all about more salary, more salary, more salary. I tell them till 27, I made less than 25,000 rupees a month. And oh, it wasn't about salary. It it, uh, it was about professional growth and the opportunity to have these great experiences. And again, you know, I have to thank my parents for that, I think, because a lot of parents would say no, right? They'd say, you know, go get your particular certain pedigree job with a certain financial outcome. They've never stopped me. Even, even after business school, they've never never pressurized in that way. You know, even after business school, I went straight to, uh, straight to start this startup. I never, never went to a job uh, and they've never stopped me.
0: So, uh, which year did you finish uh, College of Business Studies? In
1: 2005.
0: Okay. So, uh, and then you spent, I think, three years in ISEC. So, five to eight, uh, you were in ISEC.
1: Right. In eight, I okay. retired from ISEC. Hmm. Uh, so,
0: why why did you retire? To, like, take up a real job? Like, was that, the, like, a better-paying job? Or wh- what was the plan? No,
1: there? no, I just, uh, so, I, you know, I, I retired as a global head of external relations. The only thing I had to do at ISEC was to be you know, the global president, I, I didn't apply for it. I, I didn't do that uh, for many reasons. I won't go into that um, micro, but mostly because I thought the job I already had was very market-focused, so you went to market and got rejected a lot, which I thought was very good for your ego. And uh, the, the global uh, presidential role, of course, very tough role to get, but again, you stand in an election. You know, it's more like a policy uh, maker. So the, the global officer, I say, is like the UN, Right. So think about it as like a UN Secretary General, and I didn't sort of feel like I wanted to do that. So I left. Then I ultimately came back, took a supposed to be a 60-day break, but in 50 I couldn't tolerate it. And uh, and I went to help my parents for for a while. But in three in three months of that, I advised them to close their business and they did close it. You know, it was only a crore rupee business. Uh, it was in textile, it didn't have big margins. Uh, they, you know, the debt costs were too high. It wasn't going to scale. So I, literally, three months, and maybe I was too immature then also. Didn't realize what even getting to a crore <laughs> means. But uh, I said you should just shut this and all of that. And ultimately, they shut it. And I went to Malaysia. So I went to Malaysia to do an ISAC training show, which is you know actually the kind of training that ISAC facilitates that you go work in a company or startup or NGO. And in Malaysia, I went to a company called Mind Valley which sold uh, personal development video courses in the U.S. from Malaysia. Uh, So the company is still around. Uh, now quite a far more sizable company. But I went to the startup days, worked at our house, uh, and I was there about six odd months. I do have to give it credit for, uh, you know, giving me the first exposure to running an internet business and to running a cross-border business, uh, you know, where you from one country sell in another country through the internet. And... uh, yeah, so I was in Valley for six, seven months, and, and then I went to business school at ISB. I got, what was your role exactly over there? Uh, so I effect, essentially managed affiliates, which means that you, I think most people in, in the internet world would know what affiliates are, but you get other people to promote your products for a commission. And at the end of my time at Mind Valley, I was beginning to look at a particular early education product, which is basically... You, it's a homeschooling product made by an institute in Philadelphia called the Doman. Uh, it's called the Doman Method. I think the institute was called the Institute for Achievement of Human Potential, and they they have these products about how to teach a baby to read, usually before the age of two. So I was very interested in it. So I I was beginning to bury that product, but left soon after.
0: Okay. So uh, why did you decide to do an MBA?
1: Uh, so, I decided to do an MBA. a friend of mine sent me a book, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur already. Oh, well, the one thing I didn't mention was between uh, Isaac and that you know time that I spent some time with my parents' uh, small business, I uh, also tried to pitch VCs for another business of my own and failed. <laughs> right? Maybe it's so back, far back in memory, I don't even remember. But uh, I you know sent a couple of emails to a couple of VCs. Sort of again, an ed tech kind of idea, but totally like a paper idea. Why did I do an MPSO? This, this entrepreneurship. Model.
0: Tell me more about this. Like, what was the idea? And uh, did you actually get to speak to any VC or it was just like you sent some emails and nobody replied?
1: So, what was the idea? Well, the idea was uh, that uh, effectively to provide free uh, educational management software to all universities. And so that would you know have the incentive for the universities to use that software uh, and then you know include all the because all the students would be signed up on that software, basically that would be a source to uh, have all the database of students and effectively sell that on the front end like a, you know one of the uh, job portal businesses. So you got the the back end because of the solution you offered the the colleges and the schools. And you got the front end, uh, which was monetizable by, you know, talent acquisition costs, etc. Uh, you could think the front end would be like a, a knockery.com or a jobs ahead or one of those. Uh, but this, we had sort of the supply side problem was, would be solved in a different way.
0: And uh, did you actually talk to VCs or it was just some emails and nobody replied and you gave up?
1: So, when I talked to you know, a lot of the alumni of this organization I was with, And I suddenly realized that business is very different from being a part of a sizable not-for-profit. When you do your own thing for the first time, you could have been anything in a large entity. And, you know, people sort of don't credit that so much as now you're a person doing business by yourself. So uh, a lot of the alumni reached out, uh, I did not get any positive sort of uh, help. And then VCs, I wrote to many of them. I actually remember getting a reply from Axel partners just saying, when you have traction, let us know uh, of a cold email. So I guess that's not, not bad. So, yeah, but I, I think I, I wrote to Buster wrote to several VCs, but I only remember this one strong reply in my head.
0: So then you decide uh, you want to get a formal management education and you go to ISP. So what was that experience like?
1: So I, I go to I go to Malaysia and I think also relies on this experience that this whole thing about raising millions of dollars on a piece of paper is really not happening. <laughs> and I, th- I think even today it doesn't happen. It might now what I see is on a piece of paper you can raise a couple of crore in angel money at some very lucrative valuation. But <laughs> uh, still raising big VC money or without traction doesn't happen. So after that I went to Malaysia and then somebody sent me a book. One of these books, I forget the name, where I think Rashmi Bansal's book. Talking about how all Make My Trip and Info Edge and all of these guys came from IMA MBAs, so you know, sort of like, oh, there's no way to make it to a significant business in this country without doing a good MBA. So I thought, let's let's try uh, the ISB route, and and that happened. Uh, so for Malaysia, I went. Actually, for Malaysia, I I uh, three four months before I went to ISB, and. Transformative was started in those three four months actually before I went to ISB the current business I run in which owns the Ayurveda experience. So while at ISB I was already running this business and, and another uh, vertical of this business.
0: So uh, I assume that would have been the edtech part of your business.
1: Yeah, so uh, I mean, so post Malaysia now we're talking about how uh, post Malaysia there was uh, two businesses. One form Malaysia that early early education product. You know, a, la- a lady who was my boss at that time, she said, uh, "You know, why don't you take this to India?" Uh, so I was doing that, and if that's of interest, I can talk about it. it was a massive entrepreneurial learning. At well, yeah. So I mean, uh, what take names? But uh, so the Mindvalley is a good, credible company, but they had for a moment of time engaged this uh, American lady uh, who was running a vertical. And she said, you know, you go to India, you run India, you take 50% of that business. I'll invest $15,000 in it. And uh, it you know, makes me realize how silly I was in back then to give 50% of a business for $15,000. And uh, But, you know, I thought they are giving the product. So, you know, product is a sizable thing. And I spent a good six or seven months getting that product into stores, et cetera. And we had some very credible stores signed up and nothing would ever move. I had actually a friend of mine, Move back from Singapore to become CEO of that business while I go to ISB. And six or seven months in, uh, I went to ISB and, you know, he stopped receiving salaries. And even though we had all these stores signed up, we could never get a response from the owner of the license in the US. So between my ISB term, I actually flew to the US to those guys and say, what's going on? We have all these stores signed up in India. You know, why aren't you giving us the product? You know, why aren't you giving us a license to sell this? set of products. They were all early education products. Teacher, be able to read. Teacher, be able to do math. Teacher, be able to swim. All of that. And well recognized. It sold more than 5 million copies in the US. And I, I went so in the middle of ISB, I take 15 days off, Convince my professor that I'm going to go do this and she shouldn't fail me. I actually go there and I walk into Philadelphia to this guy's office and they say, what are you talking about? And they had no, no idea. So in effect, that lady had no licenses. And this was a massive learning right and and until today in my firm, we are quite uh, crazy about paperwork, you know, contracts, written agreements, all these things. We look at these things with with significant granularity. I think it probably comes from that that experience you know, and this was with foreigners, it's not even you know people some people think that there are higher grounds in foreign countries. there's <laughs> nothing like that right you it's about. They're, they're good people and and I would say not so good people in, in all countries. and it was big, But big business experience, you know. You, you, you should document everything documented well. So that business went, of course, that was the end of that business. And, you know, it also makes you feel the responsibility you have for other people you engage. I had a friend leave a $60,000 job in Singapore to come and run this in India. And, and he stopped getting paid. He didn't have a job. I paid him a couple of lakhs for borrowing from somebody else, but then I couldn't pay him any further, and uh, he also had to leave. So and that, then you took
0: on uh, personal debt.
1: Yeah, before. I took I took on personal debt from you know another friend of mine uh, uh, who uh, you know I was close to while I was in Europe, and uh,
0: and you also yeah. had debt for ISB, like ISB was a student loan, or
1: I also had debt for ISB. Yeah, and I, I don't think of debt very well. My my parents had a very bad time with debt in their lives. So I don't think of debt in, you know, I don't enjoy debt. I've, I've given up, you know, I've been offered pretty sizable venture debt and all, and I don't take it easily. Uh, but uh, yeah, I had ISP debt and, and that debt, which was only a couple of lakhs, but when you have zero in the bank, a couple of lakhs is a lot. <laughs> so that business went to the fold. So that was, but there was only one business, you know, uh, maybe by that time life, i already figured out that, you know, I was saying dependency is death. So not to be dependent. And so we had, I had a second business, which had been the first sales of before I went to ISB. And that was basically uh, with a professor of Delhi University, who had written books on mythology, we had made video courses about learnings from mythology. You know the philosophical learnings from mythology, and we started selling those.
0: And uh, what was like the quality of video? Was it like an animation video
1: or no. like one man speaking or what? It was mostly one man speaking. then we bought some very cheap animation, but it made the video look terrible. I think for a while we had it, but then we removed it. But it was only one. Uh, it was only one man uh, speaking uh, for the first video.
0: And why would people pay for this? I mean, internet is like you know in those in those days, especially internet meant free videos, free uh, information, stuff like that.
1: Well, that way we think about, and you know, I when I first went to Mind Valley, I thought about this is crazy. So much video is free. But Mind Valley, even then, used to said ten million dollars a year, ten million US dollars a year of video, okay, on uh, you know personal confidence, meditation, self help. Anything you can think in the self-help space they used to sell. So I knew people paid for video by being at mind value. Okay? okay. Then it was about the product and about the uniqueness of the product. Now the thing here was we were telling people to buy mythology video, right? Uh, videos from professor on mythology. And anyways, this wasn't like a you know, you should have hope video. This was a really an academic professor, and we wanted to bring it to very you know crisp ideas of Powerful ideas for mythology, which I believe there are many, right? There's, there's so many great ideas in our mythology.
0: Something like what Dave That Patnayak also does.
1: Absolutely, I would I would say so. Uh, I've not read a lot of his stuff. Maybe I've read one or But But uh, something like he does, I think, is a good broad definition of it.
0: Right. He also has a podcast. Very few episodes, long time back,
1: but yeah. So we sold those uh, even before I went to ISB, and while at ISB, I continued to sell them.
0: And and how much money was that making for you?
1: Oh, uh, it's t- tough to say that far back, but I don't. I mean, it wasn't making any money. I think I in the first year, half of which was while I was at ISB. Maybe I lost fifty thousand or one lakh, and maybe it made two lakhs or three lakhs. I don't remember. So nothing great, and even that, I think thirty, forty thousand. I ended up borrowing from another friend in the US. A lot of friends I have have to uh, pay back, in. but uh, so it wasn't making a lot and, of money. But
0: and this uh, how how were you selling it? Like the, people would pay money, and then they would be able to log in and go behind a paywall and watch it online, or people could pay and download it, and or, or was it like on a CD or like? Oh, so we were selling sell? we were selling both online and on
1: CDs, and and ISB incubated that and they put in a couple of lakhs into that business, give me a place to stay, give me an office. And that was our business till about 2014. We basically published many things in philosophy and mythology. And in, and it, in its final stages, maybe it did a hundred grand a year. So still wasn't, you know, doing anything insane.
0: A uh, hundred grand uh, INR?
1: not dollars. Dollars. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh so by 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 its it was doing a hundred thousand dollars, maybe a little bit more, maybe a test of the road, I don't remember now. Uh, till about fourteen. But we would have burnt out. We were gonna fall off the cliff. And I had raised post ISB between seventy and a hundred grand. I think almost almost a hundred grand. No, I think closer to seventy seventy thousand dollars. Yeah.
0: So during your one one year and a few months at ISB you were focused more on building up this business and ISB incubated you and also put in some money. And so once you got done with the degree, you continued to sit out of campus and do it or what was, I mean, what was that incubation program like?
1: Yeah, so uh, both businesses valid at ISB, one burnt out, one continued, ISB incubated, the, then stayed on ISB campus for a year. Uh, amazing, amazing campus, of course, in Hyderabad, an amazing experience. The best part of the experience was, uh, you know, you stay with other incubatees. And, and uh, all of them are some of our, you know, we're all very close friends. In fact, we just had one of our reunion calls last week. Everybody's starting their own business. Almost everybody a single founder. And I thought that was pretty amazing because we sort of were like co-founders to each other, even though we were not in each other's businesses. And till this date, all of us have a very special bond and uh, talk to each other all the time and uh, i trouble all of them all the time so (laughs) you know even this morning morning so it was on campus we didn't get honestly much intellectual support from isb maybe we had to seek it out more or something but we it, it wasn't like proactively coming but the having a good infrastructure to work was very useful i mean just the fact that we they we had a good room to live in and a a, a good office to work in. Good as it's simple, but functional, fully functional. And in a campus that we could really, you know, course these also I think are issues. These things, these things slow people down.
0: Didn't have to worry about cooking and anything like that.
1: I mean, we had, yeah, you can go to the cafe or you have a maid come, all of those things happen. So I think the biggest value was good environment and being able to work with the other entrepreneurs and have each other, you know, through all the, up days or down days. I remember at the end of my incubation, there was a uh, a $70,000 or $80,000 term sheet that somebody gave me. Of course, for one of the first times I was looking at a term term sheet and a very, very complex term sheet, right? The usual 50 clauses. And I've tried to negotiate, like I remember I think 30 or 34 of them. So... (laughs) So, they pulled out the deal. They walked out of the deal. They said, you know, no negotiation. Immediately, they said, we're walking out of this deal. So, I said, uh, I was almost like part suicidal, I think. And in that kind of moment, the camaraderie of the fellow entrepreneurs.
0: Okay. So, uh, once your ISP degree was done and you were scaling up the business inside the campus, did you hire people there? What was the plan? Were you like creating more content and then spending money on uh ppc campaigns to get people to your website i mean w- what were you
1: doing okay so i think um ISB, we got three four lakh bucks or something i don't know something like that so there wasn't a lot of extra money i think through that whole year maybe a couple of extra lakhs but i mean raised from somewhere but nothing extra so we were just doing the content and doing very little bit very little ppc but i think the less of the money the better you become at ppc so you know, today my firm prides itself as being very good at PPC. Uh, but, uh, so very little PPC, but just like thinking of the product, doing more video, understanding the customer, et cetera, trying to raise money, uh, you know, trying to raise further money because we had proven that it makes some money. I think by the mid of ISB, must have made 5, 10 lakhs by then. As you you see when you make 5, 10 lakhs by pure internet sale on your own website uh, to global customers, there's always something to look at. You have to look deeper, but you're if you're selling to people you don't know randomly over the internet, there's always the chance of it being a massive business. you know. So then you, and of course, but the birth rates are usually higher just because you're marginal. I mean, you're not making any extra cash because of the low scale. Uh, so I, I think it's just about getting a couple of more videos and courses done and trying to raise money. And then at the end of ISB, or a couple of months after that, I think we finally managed to raise close to 100 grand. And then we burnt it. <laughs> so, so I think that was yeah, that was the first. Maybe that's the next phase to go into. You Got that money, you're like, oh, what do we do with 70 lakh rupees? Never seen 70 lakhs in my life. Oh, now I remember clearly, it was 68 lakhs. So what do you do with this? Oh, what does everybody else in the internet do it? We try to grow fast. So you know, so we try to just. Scale fast with PPC, and you dream of some LTV uh, or lifetime value, and you bump up your revenue, and you feel very good about it. But I remember, uh, I think between six months, somebody invested at a three-four crore valuation, and somebody else invested at a eight crore valuation, and or six or seven-eight crore valuation, and uh, but he invested only eight lakhs, right? So actually, that is no change in valuation. But you at your early stage, you think, oh, now I have you know, you're still have to think that, oh, now you made a 1000000000 dollars company, which is absolutely absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. So we did that for a couple of years, though. I mean, the board kept going along. I think it dragged to 2014.
0: And uh, when did you move to Gurgaon?
1: I moved to Gurgaon only, only one year back. We moved to Delhi. I moved to Delhi in 2012, right after Hyderabad. Yeah, oh. so that business dragged on till about 2014, where we were really running out of money, for sure. And somebody who had bought four or five of those courses on mythology and philosophy, you know, I called her up, I said, you know, a lot of people don't buy this stuff. Why do you buy it? And you buy every course. So she said, I I love Indology and I love philosophy and why don't you do a course with me on Ayurveda? And and we did a course with her on Ayurveda and I think everything changed after that. Um, yeah. Because that course did very well, you know. It was an co- introductory course on Ayurveda I think less, less than $100. And uh, think over the years we sold almost a million dollars of that course but in its first two years we sold maybe a couple of hundred thousand of them and then we just dumped everything else and looked at the Ayurveda market and realized this this market is really a much better place to be with a lot of global opportunity, a lot of digital opportunity, no large digital global player and we sort of just totally shifted to the Ayurveda market.
0: Okay, so uh, you are, uh, uh, I mean now into physical products also in addition to the uh, online uh, videos and uh, courses. So how did you decide to make the switch into physical products from just an online product? So,
1: uh, uh, I mean, in about 16 or 17, once we had had some traction, I ayurvedic the courses and say, so, okay, now we're going to be an Ayurveda business. So, you know, courses, we will continue to have some success, but obviously we need to find other ways to scale up.
0: Who were the people buying these courses? Were they like practitioners or, or consultants or just like normal consumers looking to
1: improve their health? Normal consumers. I mean, we've always tried to build our courses for normal consumers, but they are accredited in some countries for practitioners to get credits, right? And we try to build for normal consumers because that's where the scale is, etc. You know, Ayurveda in foreign countries doesn't have large enough practitioners to easily build an education-based business around them. It's growing, but it's more limited. Yeah. So they were normal consumers who, you know, think oh, you know. So yoga, of course, was a big trend in the U.S. Right? I mean, yoga was a, almost a 28 to 30 billion dollar market. Uh, one out of uh, one out of every at the max 20 Americans had some deep interaction with yoga or fairly significant interaction with yoga. And so, Doctor, okay, what's next? And I think that's why Ayurveda became more and more convinced about the Ayurveda idea. Plus traditional Chinese medicine, alternative medicine in the US had always been big. There had been 50 to 80 billion dollar markets. So we became very convinced of the Ayurveda idea. Then we thought, okay, so let's, we're going to build the consumer base through education. And we'll monetize through having this marketplace on other people's products. So first we started the marketplace on other people's products. So we thought, who's going to build product? You know, Products has has its complications and all of that. When we started doing that, we just realized that none of the brands in the U.S. were big enough. So, you know, why wouldn't we just build our own brands? And, uh, you know, that way we'll have the full full leeway. So that was another significant shift after becoming a marketplace, selling third-party products. Then we realized, also, you know, how many successful marketplaces in the world have been created outside of the very big ones from a product standpoint? Very limited, right? So, so then we sort of uh, very quickly in a year or so moved from marketplace to into uh, into wanting to do products. But what we started doing was product partnerships with other people. So there was sort of two kinds of partnerships. There was a couple which was promoting a spa tool and we sort of gave them a royalty because every time they did video for that spa tool, they did quite well. And we sort of gave them a royalty to, uh, you know, become the face of that sort of tool. It was like a body massage tool uh, made of copper and wood. Uh, and it was not, you know, uh, commonly seen, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it was, you know, you could rarely find it. It wasn't a popular product. So we give them a small royalty and then we really push that tool. Ultimately, we sold $8 million that tool over three or four years. And, uh, and you know, you can see on Google Trends, so sort of the, the it only rises once we get into that market. Uh, of so then it became clear to us. Okay, so we're not going to be a marketplace. We're going to try to back these lesser known things which don't have too much competition. And ultimately, it also became became about trying to protect the products that we build. Uh, so, for example, this tool I'm talking about, it's called the Kansa Wand. uh, you know, now it's quite a popular beauty product in the US, in fact, after this Oscars, uh, uh, you know, the aesthetician of the, I think the woman who won uh, uh, Best Actress, uh, she actually said that the Kansa wand is one of her beauty tools, right? So now it's that popular. But, you know, at every stage has been a learning, even though we built that tool up, because we didn't trademark it, because we couldn't trademark it, because... We didn't create the moat around it to protect it for the long term. People started selling it much, much cheaper than us on Amazon. And ultimately, we, we lost that market. Uh, we didn't lose it. We still own, I think, 60 or 70% of the market is still us. But the profitability went away and we used to sell at much higher prices and the prices came down several fold. Uh, so that was one. The, the other thing was that we said that, okay, let's try to... There must be small businesses... And like this couple who was doing this this spa tool, you know, they they had no way to build this into something that sold in the millions. Uh, But they had the idea and they had the training around it. So we said, this is a good way. Let's find people who have got these interesting ideas and concepts and products. And let's partner with them. And we know digital very well. And I, I missed in some part of this, some part in the middle for survival, we ran a digital agency also. Right. Just for a couple, uh, one or two years, we had a digital agency. We consulted some very well-known educational players, including ISB, Jamboree, the the GMAT guys and Ashoka University. They were all our clients. So we understood digital well. So we said, okay, we will bring the digital, they will bring the product and we'll scale. But we must have a part of the pie. So we found a company in Wisconsin, USA called Ajara, uh, which used to do $100,000 a year. And, uh, you know, we, we sort of suggested a partnership to the promoter saying for every half a million dollars we sell, we'll take 10% of the company. So we'll help you grow and, you know, we'll get part of that growth. And uh, I'm very grateful to her. Her name is Nicole. Uh, uh, and she agreed to that. And uh, we did that and we ended up owning half the company. And just last week, we actually bought the rest of the company. So now we fully own Ajara. But I think the, the key learning is, you know, bring your strengths together. She had product, we had digital. And so we uh, so we partnered with her to, you know, build Ajara. And then the end of that year, which is 2017, uh, we launched our own skincare brand called Ayura, uh, which, uh, which has been a phenomenal growth story since 2017. But Ayura was totally built by us, brand is built by us, and we sort of contract manufactured with very reliable partners. Uh, and Ayura, I, I, you know, just in uh, two and a half years, has more than two hundred thousand customers in foreign countries, uh, um, and and so then we realized that we can just build brands by doing good diligence, contract manufacturing, etc., uh, and and do that. So I don't know whether I skipped <laughs> skipped some things, but now I've covered a couple of the things in, in Ayurveda. So the shift, and also I have to say, you know, a little bit of uh, the team, as it begins to come together, also adds value to that. So I don't really consume much of anything except for, I think, food and a lot of juice. <laughs> or uh, you know, I, I'm not one to think a lot about consumption. Uh, so my understanding of retail sometimes was weak earlier. Now it's a little better because of naturally having to research it. So uh, many members of our team, including uh, Venu, who's now my wife, and we worked together for seven years. So you know, Venu is quite loves skincare, and she's like, let's let's do all this skincare, and uh, so we started doing the skincare stuff. And uh, and Raghav uh, and, and Maginder also two, two partners who joined me six seven years back. You know, I think they also wanted to do the e-commerce side. So you know, we partnered with some supplement companies. So it's a team also, right? My my better mind has always been about transformation, transformative education you know, that kind of stuff so even in ayurveda i find my solace in trying to make the products effective you know trying to focus on okay let's can we make this more scientific and can we actually produce the best product and make sure this product is not just a skincare product but is actually an effective product
0: so how much did you do turnover wise like this financial year which has just ended
1: uh, so, the GMV basis, would have done just less than uh, 70 crore. Okay.
0: What does that mean when you say GMV basis?
1: I mean, in our case, GMV is almost... It, it is net sales. The only reason I use GMV is that I might be very accurate is because last financial year, we didn't own a lot of a jara. So, half of a jara was not counted as our revenue. Uh, right? So, the financials will show about 64-odd crore. But... Uh, uh, including Ajara, because now we own it, it would have been close to 69 crore and GMV is equal to revenue in our case.
0: So why the US market? Uh, why not the India market? Was it because your videos were selling in the US and therefore everything you did was aimed at that market? Or...
1: Yeah, I think it's just that. Uh, you know, I, the one big learning from Warren Buffet is, you know, stay in your circle of competence. Uh, I've been on the U.S. market for 10 years. Uh, So even now, we have opened European markets, are looking at Indian markets. Uh, But the U.S., Australia, and Canada, we've always done for 10 years. And so we really analyze the market, understand the market, and solve the problems of that specific market, right? So, So that was one, just, you know, education was there. So naturally, the customer was there. So we tried this there. Second thing was competitive Competition-wise, it made sense, right? Because India is a very competitive ayurvedic market. So you know you need wide open spaces to run, especially if you want to consume very little capital. Uh, I mean, uh, the has raised significant capital, but that its direct usage of capital in its build in the business has been very limited. Uh, so I think if if you have a non-competitive space and in the US, you can of course do work on dollar values, etc., and you have high dollar values. Uh, so, you know the spread is much larger. Your capital burn is much lower, and so we sort of always stayed on that market. Now we are looking at India and all as well. We're evaluating that.
0: So you raised, uh, you told me about a hundred thousand dollars, like when you were running the 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 training and the video business. So after that, did you raise further money?
1: Yeah, I mean, in all, people have invested almost 45 crores in transformative. Uh, we haven't done so too much media in, in the past, but in primary and secondary capital, now, almost 20-odd crores has been secondary capital, that is people buying shares from each other uh, and not into the business. About 26 crores is in the business. In about 2016, we raised about a 4 road angel round through Lens Venture, but led by Mohit Satyananda, who is uh, you know, chairman of the firm which runs the Jaipur Literature Festival. And he was on the board of the company which owned Cracks for a long time. So Mohit has been a great mentor to us over all these years and is, you know, even now on a weekly basis, we, we bother him and he, he guides us. So we raised a folk road back then under his mentorship and he stays deeply involved and we're very grateful for that. And then in 2018 uh, and we raised money from Fireside and Centrum and uh, uh, both uh, both Kanwal, uh, I, I guess in, in media known as Kanwal Jeet Singh Singh uh, and uh, and Giri from uh, Centrum are uh, you know on our board and and they both invested there. So that was about a 35 crore round, and uh, but 15 crore was secondary. So in, in primary capital, we've only till today sort of used 26 crore, and we haven't used it. A lot of that, uh, at least a significant part of that capital lies with us till today. Okay.
0: Yeah, so why did you raise that money?
1: Well, one, uh, I think we were seven, eight years in, right? By 2018. Uh, so we were seven, eight years in. And what uh, I think is that I think you should always have money if, one, to weather storms. Nothing is, it's not easy uh, to weather all the battles now, you know, in this environment. You could need it for any kind of cost which starts to fluctuate significantly. Uh, the second thing is, I want to look at transformative like a research institution that we invest in research primarily in Ayurvedic product but also in technology also in even we think of customer acquisition as a science so a lot of research around that and so for some of these things you you know need capital to play out models for a longer period of time plus when you have capital right uh, uh, the thing is that you can think longer term otherwise a lot of it you are you know just trying to manage cash flow all the time and if you're trying to manage cash flow all the time then taking really long-term decisions is a little bit hindered can be significantly hindered also
0: and uh, how did you go about raising money like the first uh, experience you had of going to VCs was not a good one then uh, uh, the next experience I guess your ISB connects would have helped you for that angel round which you did around that time around 11 12 uh, this time around, like you went to bigger name VC, so how did you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, well, actually, the or one, one was an ISB friend who gave half his salary as an investment, but there was also a couple of school friends, you know, who made significant investments. And uh, one of my childhood friends and his uh, his uh, father, uh, Kabir and Ajay Kochar, they uh, they invested a significant amount. I I, I told them many times that if this blows up, there's no way I can give it back to you. <laughs> but luckily, like, yeah, yeah, they trusted me and you know made that investment. And
0: and I think one of the things we're happy is that
1: in these last rounds that we did, a lot of people have got their returns also, right? So in our second, piece, I'm I feel very uh, lighter that all the early investors have received significant exits. Um, so then I raised in 2016, uh, which uh, was, of course, a lot with Moet's help, but we, we raised on Let's Venture because a lot of the VC still didn't get it. I mean, I got one VC offer, which I thought was low-balling the valuation, with all due respect, but, um, but mostly we... Uh, and uh, all sort of strange angel terms. I mean, you see every sort of strange angel term in this country, including... I must be allowed to sell my share before you can raise the next amount of capital. I actually have seen that term. <laughs> you know, I think now now it's not much better. But even till before 15, 2015 or 14, it was tougher. You know, now I am sometimes blown away at the valuations I see. <laughs> you know, uh, and I look at some Indian deals myself now, but uh, I'm a little blown away. So I thought this venture kind of platform was phenomenal because this gave you the chance to really pitch to many people everybody wrote a small check and you got a lot of people with very valuable experience from business and you know so and some of them have become real advisors and and friends uh and some of them are parts of funds even larger than vc funds you know like pe funds etc so they are very astute investors and uh yeah, so I reached to Let's Venture uh, after trying all the private routes. But in Let's Venture also, this was the earlier parts of Let's Venture, I really reached out to everybody with personalized messages, you know. And also, I think in fund, in to close a fundraise, you have to give put scarcity in the end. I think this ends up being something that you have to get some timeline, otherwise it can keep hanging. I think with from the time we put the deadline that we are going to close. I think the last 40% of the round closed in four or five days. Uh, and before that, it was just dragging. Uh, also, the other thing about investing a lot of it is you have to get the momentum going. You have to have many people interested at the same time. And that's where you can really, you know, get pe- more people interested and get the tempo going. So fundraising is a is a big exercise. And after 2016 and even before, I think some point I came to realize that You know, focus on the business, not on fundraising, because ultimately people only want to fund a good business, and you don't get rewarded just for fundraising. And anyways, even if you raise funds, but you had such a deficient business, the liquidation preference will mean that you are not left with anything. So post that I have really been business focused. If I got an easy introduction somewhere or something, then I've always taken that opportunity and spoken to the VCs and given it my best, given all the information, try to make it work. I mean, at my general sense, I try to make all deals work. I mean, if they seem like a value, I, I try to make them work, but uh, I wasn't like, I don't, I almost never go to full fundraising mode. Because to start a fundraise and to end a fundraise, your numbers have to be doing very well. I don't think you can easily do both. <laughs> But rather, show the upward curve and to the fundraise. Yeah. It's not easy. I know some people might be able to do it. So, in 2018, then of course, you got introductions to Fireside and Central. Hmm. Through and, your uh, angels. Through angels, and you know, had somebody reach out. Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think we don't find it tough to get introductions anywhere uh we have a de- decent size pnl by the you know by an indian startup standards uh you know once you start to reach to this level people at least want to talk to you for 10 minutes <laughs> But uh, uh so i getting the intros is not a problem usually okay
0: so uh, how was that uh, uh, how did you end up marrying Venu, who used to work with you, how, what was that whole story like?
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, so you know, uh, Venu came seven years back as a, you know, she wanted to join just as an intern, uh, uh, because she was a vocalist and 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 is a very good singer. And if you YouTube her, you'll you'll find many great songs from her under Venu Manot, uh V E N U B H A N O T. Uh, and she blames me for spoiling her uh, singing career. But uh, so she you know, came to join for an internship for uh, uh, you know, a month or so and said, I'm going to Bombay to do film. Then I sort of <laughs> tried to convince her to stay. And we worked together for all these years. Uh, a couple of years in, I think, uh, um, you know, we had, uh, of course. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, from the very beginning, we knew this was going to happen. Uh, but a, a couple of years in, after we had, been, we, we had gone through so many tough, complex startup situations together. I mean, so when she joined, we had, we were about four people or five people. Uh, okay, so she joined almost in 2013. And we had gone through all these really complex situations and uh, of startup life and, and and mental struggles and all the other kinds of struggles. So. I guess you build camaraderie, you you build that trust, and uh, and uh, of course, I think everybody at transformative knows uh, we we pride ourselves on creative. You if you see the quality of our packaging, our websites, etc. And uh, you, you know that all comes out of Venus' uh, creativity, which was of course existent from the time that she was a singer, and uh, and, and manifests itself into. Uh, skill care ideas products and packaging and education now So I mean, so a couple of years in we started dating then we lived together for uh, for several years uh, even uh, even before we got married because I think we were we are big proponents of testing everything and,
0: uh, <laughs> and I mean, product I mean, market fit
1: <laughs> a production market fit <laughs> this is a complex one who's the product and who's the market? So, um, you know, but I I think the the biggest thing is you—you have to. uh, So we only got married seven, eight months back, and people say anything changed. I said no. You know, I said what could have changed? What does marriage do? You have a deep emotional tie in, and then in some sense, brutally put, you have some financial tie in. And we had both before. (laughs) You know, we sort of were emotionally tied in. We were sort of financially tied in. We had lived together. Uh, you know, we had gone through every sort of complex situation, uh, so uh, you know, and survived. So <laughs> it was high high confidence interval that uh, it should work. Uh, and I'm very grateful, of course, for our support over all these years. So,
0: what are you currently attempting to learn as an entrepreneur? And I mean, in my experience, entrepreneurs are like perpetual learning machines, they're always looking to learn. So what is it that you're personally attempting to learn at this stage of life?
1: Well, I'm, I'm always trying to learn many things, but uh, I think at this stage, my primary sort of a problem I've tried to deal with is how to maintain and accelerate quality of product and effectivity of product while scaling at the same time. Uh I've tried to answer that question whether that's even easily possible. Uh, but to balance that, that's one. I think the second thing is about, uh, I mean, clearly I have no more hours in the day I can work. So, uh, you know, how do you pass down this entrepreneurial energy to, you know, whatever number of people you have, uh, hopefully hundreds of people, how do you pass down that energy and that uh Uh, That vision, passion, all of that, that everybody functions at that pace because without that, you know, unless you want to just burn capital, there's no way to grow fast and create a great company. And if you do that, I think the need for capital in many businesses can be far more limited. Um, So, yeah, those those are two, you know, two sort of perpetual problems. Uh, Effectivity and scaling and lifting you know, the sort of output of every single employee. Uh, and, and I don't even like to use the word employee. I, I like to often, I try to think of transformative as a partnership with senior partners and junior partners, you know, but everybody has partners. And, uh, you know, if I try to take inspiration from the best finance firms, right, you're, they, they use very few people to manage very large numbers of, large sums of money. Uh, or the best law firms, right? They're structured as partnerships. And I I believe a lot of the internet business is people, a lot of the time, people try to replace knowledge with capital or they use capital to buy knowledge. But I think you structure it well as a partnership where everybody has significant upside. You know, because of the upside should be an automatic sort of uh, compensation for uh, the knowledge, and try to retain all the best knowledge inside a company. Um, so try to build this partnership or a, build a structure for a good internet partnership or internet business partnership is, is something I'm always trying to think about.
2: So that was Rishabh sharing his secrets of how he scaled up Transformative. And if you want to know more about their products, then do visit the AyurvedaExperience.com. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in that is d-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot i-n for a complete list of all our shows.
0: This was an HD Smartcast original. HD
2: Smartcast Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.